Thank you for celebrating that with us this morning as we begin that new rhythm as a church family. Um, As they dismiss to their classrooms this morning, I want to take a few moments and remind us of where we are in the Gospel of John, okay? Uh, it's, It's always helpful to make sure we are reading within the context of the chapter and surrounding chapters. This helps us come to the conclusion of what might be the primary idea of the text and arrive at some application. Again, the the book of James tells us we don't want to just be hearers of God's Word, but we want to be doers of God's Word. In fact, the passage that we read this morning concludes by saying, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. And that seems important. We got to ask ourselves the question, what are we being asked to obey? What are we being asked to, to walk in obedience to? We need to discover that this morning so that we can faithfully apply this passage to our life and understand what is happening. And so if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, uh, let me give a brief summary. We go all the way back to John chapter 1. We see John begins this this book uh, with kind of the trailer. These are the highlight events of Jesus' life. It's a highlight reel of Jesus and what Jesus has come to do. And if you haven't read the first chapter, the first chapter really packs a punch. John is setting up for us all that we're going to see in Jesus, giving us a snapshot of kind of where he's going to take us in this book. And one of the things that we see kind of out of the gates is we learn about a man named John the Baptist. John the Baptist differs from the author, John, that we're, we're reading, the Apostle John. John the Baptist was a forerunner to Jesus. And his role and responsibility was to go before Jesus to prepare the way. And in John chapter 1, verse 15, John the Baptist, it says, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And we're going to talk about that this morning because that's key, the supremacy of Jesus, that that he is supreme, that, that he is all. Everything has been given into his hands. He has all authority. And what we're going to see is, John the Baptist clearly understands his role. His role is to prepare the way and get out of the way. He, he clearly identifies himself as someone who just points to Jesus. We talked about that early on where John the Baptist described himself, where people came to him and said, are you the Christ? And he said, I am not the Christ. He was very clear to make it known that he was not the Christ. And he was very clear to point people to who Jesus was. And John has helped people see Jesus, and he's not drawn that attention for himself. People have continually wanted to platform John. People have continued like, hey, rise up, take ownership. Like, you're, you have a very successful ministry. And John was quick to say, I'm not the Christ. John pointed people to Jesus. And what happened as a result of that? People began following Jesus. He pointed people to Jesus, and people began following Jesus. What a celebration, right? Like, that, that's the goal. That's what he came to do. He was fruitful in his ministry. His ministry was about pointing people to Jesus. That's what John's life was all about. And that's what we actually want to be all about, right? As a church, we want to be a church, and we want to be a people. We want to be disciples of Jesus. And what that means is our lives point people to Jesus. We want to point people to Jesus. And so Jesus begins his ministry, and we see right out of the gates that, that, that Jesus begins his ministry, and a theme was presented that it's, Jesus isn't just on a random mission. 
He's very intentional about where he goes and what he does and what he says. And John, the author, highlights this. And if we we follow the thread, we're going to see it again in our text today because there's a common thread that has kind of ran through the last several passages of Scripture that we looked at. And what what it's seeking to show us is this. It's seeking to show us that Jesus and Jesus's ministry far surpasses the religious culture of that time, okay? John is, is seeking to show us that all things in Jewish culture are going to find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Everything that the Old Testament wrote about, that all the Jews believed, is they're going to find that to come true, that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all of that. Everything that has happened is pointing to show them that it's Jesus. That's who we're waiting for. That's who we're longing. And the Jews miss that. And, and what we're going to see is, like, out of the gates, we see the, the ceremonial pots that were reused, that Jesus filled them with wine. And we see that Jesus is the better sacrifice. And then we see Jesus come, and he flips over tables in the temple, and he looks at the sacrificial system, and he goes, like, they're continually bringing these offerings. And this whole system, it's, it's grown corrupt, and, and we see in that picture that Jesus is the better priest. And then we see Jesus interacting with Nicodemus. And, and Nicodemus calls him teacher. And, and what's interesting is, is Jesus comes to him and he says, are you, to Nicodemus, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? And Jesus is basically saying, I'm the better teacher. And we see that Jesus comes along and it says, as the bronze serpent was lifted up, and we see that back in Numbers in the Old Testament where the bronze serpent, everyone looked to the serpent, they were healed. Jesus says, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, is going to be lifted up and everyone's going to look to Jesus and they're going to be saved. And Jesus is the better healer. And what we're going to see today in in our text is that Jesus is the better purifier. And, and so over and over and over again, we see that Jesus is coming on the scene and he's changing, he's reforming these old Jewish ways. And, and we're going to see that right in it. And, and that thread is right here, front and center in our, in our text today. Jesus is the better. Jesus is the better. There's no one like him. Jesus is the better. Jesus is the better. And this is the context we come. So verse 22 through 24 kind of gives us the setting. And it says this. After this, all right, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. And and here's what I would say out of the gates and I think it's easy to miss this and I I love this and and I want you to grasp this because I think so much of what we hear and see and experience in the context of church is so much of what I gotta do and Jesus just wants you to be. Jesus wants you to live with him. Jesus wants you to spend time with him. In the New American Standard Version, it says, and Jesus was there spending time with them. He just spent time with the disciples. They're in the Judean countryside, and Jesus is just spending time with his disciples. And I love that picture of Jesus. Jesus is just there with his followers. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. It's to spend time with Jesus. Just to be around Jesus, to hang out with Jesus. 
In Mark chapter 3, when, when, when Jesus called the disciples, we see in Mark's gospel, it says, he appointed 12 and he called them to himself to follow him so that they might be with him. And I love that. Have you ever thought that Jesus just wants you to be with him? And that's, that's good news. Like, I tell people often, tomorrow morning when you wake up, and it's not that we have a duty and responsibility to open God's word and read it, and to be in God's word. We're told, we're commanded to meditate on God's word, but Jesus actually wants to meet you. That, that he, when you wake up tomorrow morning, he's, he's just saying, hey, here's an invitation. Come hang out with me. And this is Jesus' posture throughout all the Gospels, that he just wants to spend time with you. And I think that changes the framework and dynamic that many of us think when it comes to Jesus. And I think it goes back to our passage last week, that in Jesus, Jesus is not bringing condemnation. Jesus is bringing invitation. Jesus is inviting people to follow him. Jesus is inviting people to be with him. Jesus is invited to be near. And so, Maybe a question out of the gates this morning. Have you ever considered that Jesus just wants to be with you and spends time with you? That he loves you. He doesn't condemn you. And his posture is one of love. That's, that's where we see this start. That's where Jesus, how Jesus is portrayed in this text. And then what happens? Verse 25. Now a discussion, and this is where that that, that Judaism culture begins to kind of thread its way through this, this narrative. It says, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples, John the Baptist, his followers, people that, that he is, is discipling, and a Jew over purification. Okay? So they're, they're talking about this idea of purification. How is one made pure? Now, we're not given any context as to what happened in that conversation, but given where the text goes and where the text leads us to, it seems pretty common that that they would probably be talking about the idea of baptism because that's where the conversation turns. They look to Jesus' baptism and John's baptism, and they're kind of wondering, like, why in the world is a Jew getting baptized? If we were to speculate, that may be... What kind of surfaced out of this conversation? Jews would come and they would be baptized for ceremonial cleansing, but the baptism that Jesus was coming and bringing was a baptism of repentance, repenting of sin and trusting in Jesus Christ for forgiveness. And so we see in this text, there's some, some, some needing some clarity. There's a conversation that has arose. And I'm sure that John's disciples being John's disciples, and, and being people who love and follow John, John being a good follower, and John being a disciple of Jesus, that this conversation with this Jew would move to see the importance of Jesus and the role and significance of what Jesus came to do, right? But that's not where it takes, it takes us. What surfaces is not more script or dialogue about how one is made right with Jesus or what the purpose of baptism is, we see front and center the jealousy of the disciples. In verse 26, it says this, and they came to John. So this this discussion arose over baptism with this Jew, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, 
He who was with you across the Jordan. They didn't even call him Jesus. You can see the resentment in their voice. He who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. There's a jealousy that has risen amongst some of John's disciples. What has happened? Why, why is this happening? People are going to Jesus. And, and we see like this uh, extreme language, all are going to him. Obviously, all are not going to him because some of these disciples are still sticking with John. But, but we see this picture of, the, of this jealousy, of this resentment that's beginning to rise up amongst these disciples. And if you read carefully, they don't even use the name of Jesus. Just that guy who you were with, who you've been pointing people to. Everyone is going to him. Now, in our time and day, like this has become pretty commonplace where we have like celebrity pastors, right? Like celebrity pastors making, you know, this isn't a sense like John the Baptist didn't have, you know, he wasn't putting out his highlight reels of his sermon that day, you know, on Instagram and gaining a following. Uh, But he had this crowd, this voice, these followers that were coming to him and being like, hey, everybody's going to this other pastor. Everybody's going to this other teacher. Like, that's not why you got into this business, right? Like, you, you got to gain some popularity for yourself. And, and I'm thinking about these disciples that are following John. I mean, some of their popularity, some of their success is wrapped up in John the Baptist's success. And so they're like, hey, if everybody leaves you and goes to him, what's in it for us? And we just see this jealousy begin to rise. But here's what I want you to see. John the Baptist was a great leader. John the Baptist clearly knew his role. He's someone of character. Given the opportunity, I believe many of us would have failed at this moment. There's already a temptation and a desire in most of us to be successful, to be popular, to be accepted, to be front and center, to be the person of attention. And here he has a crowd, a voice telling him, take it. It's yours. People are leaving you to go follow him. Do something. All are going to him. Don't you want them to come to you? And what John the Baptist is going to say to them and what he says to us, and I think the thing that we need to wrestle with, is when Jesus increases, my joy increases. That's what John the Baptist said. And I I think that's something we really got to wrestle with this morning. Do we believe that? That's what John the Baptist said. When when Jesus increases, it leads to my fulfillment, joy, satisfaction. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that your greatest joy is found in pointing people to Jesus? This is the opposite of the world, right? The more I increase, the more attention I have, the more popularity I have, the more successful I appear, we think our joy is wrapped up in that. That's what I believe at times. I'm tempted to believe that. And I think if I had people in my ear telling me, take it, 
take it, take it, I would be tempted to take it. But John didn't. And I think John's an example to all of us. The question this morning is, do you celebrate people coming to Jesus? Do you see Jesus as the hero? Do you make much of Jesus? And here is what I would tell you this morning is jealousy becomes the enemy of joy. And that's what John the Baptist begins to see. Like they're standing on the outskirts. They're seeing the popularity of Jesus begin to rise. They're seeing people leave John the Baptist and go and follow Jesus, and they grow jealous. And what John the Baptist tells them is, everything that we have has been given to us. But here, John's disciples begin to think that they deserve more. I'm, I'm own, I should be given more. He's like, hey, you have all things. You've been given the opportunity. Like, why don't you go and follow Jesus? Why don't you go? Like, they're, they're spending time with Jesus. They're following Jesus, and that's significant. That's, that's huge. But they're, they're failing to see their need to even go and follow because they're so wrapped up in their own success and their own popularity, their own significance. They're all about making much of them. They're holding out for themselves. And they fail to see that ministry success is actually just making much of Jesus. Can I tell you when we first planted our church back in 2014, um, I came out of a church in Texas where ministry is large, big scale, like the churches there are like malls. And, you know, I, I was in a church when I was in seminary going through grad school uh, where 24,000 people attended every single Sunday. And it's easy to kind of get caught up in that sense of like ministry success means you have a following. And if we want to define ministry success as a following, then John the Baptist is an extreme failure because everyone's leaving John the Baptist and going and following Jesus. And so given that, we, we would sit, tend to, to think that John the Baptist is a failure unless we redefine what ministry actually is. That ministry is making much of Jesus and pointing people to Jesus and causing people not to look and praise. When people walk out the doors of Church of the Valley, they're not saying, man, Wes, did you hear Wes sing this? He's so, so talented. He is talented. But are we walking out the doors making much of Wes? Are we making much of Jesus? Are we walking out the doors making much of Justin? Are we making much of Jesus? And I, I hope that our posture is one that we are pointing you guys to Jesus. We, we will fail you if, if it's ever centered around a personality or a person, an image. Because here's what I know to be true. And if you look at every celebrity pastor that's ever grown up, there comes a ministry where they let you down. You know what I tell people often? It's like, I'm probably going to fail you. I'm probably going to fail you. Which means I'm probably not going to be the celebrity image in your eye. 
We're going to fail you. We're going to fail you as pastors. We're going to fail you as leaders. We're going to fail you as deacons. We're going to fail you as community group leaders. I told our community group leaders as they kicked into launching this past week, I go, there's going to be a lot of people and there's going to be a lot of pressure to make you feel like you need to be the Christ and you don't have to be the Christ. You can graciously walk alongside people and help them, but you're not Jesus. Point people to Jesus. Point people to the person who can really help them. Point, don't try to be the hero. And there's so much temptation to try and be the hero. I want to fix it. I want to solve it. Because it seems like that, that's where success lies. And John the Baptist knows the truth that success is not seen by gaining a huge following, but pointing people to Jesus. And so I remember when we planted our church the common question that I got from folks in Texas is like, hey, do you have a building yet? And it seems like success, it was like the three Bs, building, bodies, and budget. If you got the three Bs, then you're successful, right? You got a big budget, you got a building, you got a lot of bodies, then it's great. And John the Baptist doesn't have any of that. And he's successful. He's successful. It's like grassroots ministry. He's just making much of Jesus. And so there was a huge temptation to want to tell people early on in the days of our start, like, oh, no, we're doing really well. You know, like, um, we set out 10 chairs this morning. That's true. There were seasons in ministry where there were, there were more people volunteering in our ministry than we had chairs. And, and, and it's easy to get wrapped up that, that my fruitfulness was, and, and my success was wrapped up in how many people filled chairs. And it's so easy to get entangled with that. How many people show up to our community group? How many people show up to our discipleship group? And this should redefine for us what it looks like to be successful in ministry, that people will leave you to follow Jesus. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. I remember when my, my brother and friend, Britton Lewis, when he was pastor in Ecclesia Lehi, we closed the church. He came here, he moved here, he packed up his family from Texas, moved to Lehi, Utah, planted a church, successfully poured his life into it for four to five years. And you know what the question he asked when he was walking out the door? Was it, was it successful? Was it successful? And I was like, brother, listen to me. You have been faithful. You have been faithful. You have been faithful. You know how I know that? Because you've made much of Jesus. And you've pointed people to Jesus. And that's what John the Baptist says successful ministry looks like. Pointing people to Jesus. And when we point people to Jesus, that's where our greatest joy is found. Because when he increases and we get out of the way, that leads to our greatest joy, our fulfillment. The way he describes it is introducing the bride to the bridegroom. And I love this picture. And I love that this is kind of the, 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 the way he chooses to illustrate it, right? Because we've all been at weddings, right? And I'm just wondering... If you're honest with yourself, how many of you have been, you know, the, the, the best man 
You know, you've been the maid of honor. And how many of you have sat there and like, what in the world? Why isn't everybody here to celebrate me? That's what he's saying. That it, the disciples of John are basically going like, hey, everybody's not praising your name. Every, everyone who's gathered here today is not here to celebrate you. And he's like, I know, I'm not the bridegroom. That would be weird, right? But what he's saying is some of the disciples are actually trying to steal the bride of Christ because they're trying to make it all about them. They're trying to steal and rob what rightfully belongs to Jesus. They're his people. You're his people. I'm just a shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. My job is to point you to him, to give you to him, and to not stand in the way. And, and he gives this, this picture of the bridegroom and the role and responsibility that he plays in just being the matchmaker. That, that my role is to introduce the bride of Christ to the bridegroom. And it says, Therefore, this joy of mine is complete. I don't know. I mean, how many of us walking in this morning, we'd say, hey, my joy is complete. My joy is complete. And, and I can tell you the, the greatest joy that you can have in life is introducing someone to Jesus. Do you know that 98% of followers of Jesus die without ever leading one person to Jesus, without ever introducing one person to Jesus. And John the Baptist says, it's what gives him the greatest joy. So I see in this text an invitation. I, I see in this text an invitation just to, to work for Jesus, to, to increase the fame of Jesus. And I've asked that question. You've heard me say, like, Jesus, what will make your name famous? I want to do that. When in reality, it's my fame that I'm still wanting to promote. But do we really care about his fame? Do we really care about people coming to Jesus and knowing the supremacy of Jesus and that all things, he has all authority and all power. He must increase. He must increase and I must decrease doesn't mean I lose my personality, lose my gifting, talent. It's just that every aspect of my life is given to point to Jesus and get out of the way. I remember starting in ministry. Uh, I was talking to somebody this week when I met up with them. I remember starting in ministry, just being with Jesus and working for Jesus was enough. Like you would do it for free right? Now, I don't know if it's a shock to you. I get paid to serve and, and be a pastor of this church, and that's a gift. The Bible says we're rightfully to do so, that we are to, to steward our resources, to shepherd our pastor and those who keep watch over our souls. But I, I didn't start in ministry for the money or for, uh, you know, the, the fame or, you know, the, the renown or the pat on the back, I, I didn't begin there. Like, I, I worked in obscure ministries. I did the behind-the-scene ministry. And John the Baptist is very much the behind-the-scene kind of guy. 
He's like, I'm just pointing people to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. And they're like, hey, no, take this. You, it's about your fame. And he's like, man, I'm stepping out of the way. It's just about introducing the bride to the bridegroom. I'm out of the way. And he, he knows his place and he knows his role. And I can't tell you, like, even back in the, in the early days of ministry, it, it's like my, my first ministry job I ever had, like, full-time ministry job, I got paid $14,000 a year and got to fill up on the church gas card once a month. What a gift. And I didn't care. Why? Because it's like, I just get to work for Jesus. I just get to work for Him. I just get to spend my days working for him. But over time, if I'm honest with you, we begin to think we deserve more. I, I begin to work for, no, I want a pat on the back. I want some recognition. And we fail to see our role. John the Baptist knew his role. John the Baptist was very secure in his role. John the Baptist knew who he was, knew what he came to do, and because of that, when he got on board with the purpose of God for his life, it led to his greatest joy. What does God have for you? What does God have for you this morning? Where do we find our joy? Verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. This one who has the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. That's the person who receives joy, being all about Jesus, being the best man, big Jesus, Little me, the attention going to Jesus. That's our role. That's our place. Ministry success is making much about Jesus. So he says, he must increase, I must decrease. It's important to know why he must increase and why he must decrease. And it's important to know why we must not increase It's because we can't handle it. We were never meant to receive glory. We we all crumble. We all destroy under the midst. Where, Where we are risen up, when we're held on the shoulders of men and praised, and pridefulness enters into our lives, it leads to our destruction. But John knew his role. And he says five things in 31 through 36 of why he must increase. And I'll give them to you out of the gates here. First is this. Because he's supreme. Because he has all authority. Because he has full measure of the Spirit. Because those who don't see him face judgment. And because he's the bridegroom. He's supreme. He has all authority. He has full measure of the Spirit. Those who don't see Him face judgment. And He's the bridegroom. And none of us can say that. 
I'm not supreme. I don't have all authority. I don't have a full measure of the Spirit. Those who don't see me don't face judgment, right? I'm not the bridegroom. And that's why John the Baptist is able to step back and he's really pointing to, let me show you why Jesus needs all the attention. Let me show you why he must increase. Let me show you why he is supreme. Let me show you why all attention needs to be given to him because he's the one who can handle it. I can't. He who comes from above is above all. He's above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. It's like, I don't, his words are greater than mine. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. But whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Here's what I would say as we think about this idea that he must increase and I must decrease. Is your life all about Jesus? Is your life all about pointing people to Jesus? Do people walk away from a conversation with you and go, I want to know about Jesus? I want to know more of what it means to follow Jesus. The way that person points to Jesus is so contagious. That's John the Baptist. Who John the Baptist was in light of Jesus the way he pointed people to Jesus, caused people to come. If, if I was there, if I, if I were to hear John the Baptist, I would go, oh, that's where my attention's supposed to be. I want to be that person. I want our church to be those type of people, the type of people that point people to Jesus, that when people spend time with us, they recognize Jesus in us and long to know Jesus more. Our lives proclaim he must increase. He must increase. Why? Because he's above all. He owns all. He has authority over all. The Spirit has been given to him without measure. There is no one like Jesus. No one like Jesus. And so our role, our responsibility is to point people to him. He's the bridegroom. He's the bridegroom. And you know what the bridegroom comes to do? Ephesians chapter 5, 25 says this, Husbands, love your wives. And it gives us this example as Christ, the bridegroom. You know what the bridegroom comes to do? He loved the church and he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. We can't do that for people. We were never meant to be the bridegroom. We were meant to introduce people to, the, to Jesus, the bridegroom, the person who gave himself up for the church, for the bride, to sanctify her, to cleanse her, and to purify her, and to make her the pure, perfect bride.
of Christ. So what do we need to obey? Because that's a change in our text. We've talked about two different ways of you, you believe or, you, or, or, you, or there's those who are not believers. There's only two categories. And the category of unbelief was described to us as those who don't obey. And those who don't obey the words of Jesus are unbelievers. And, and what he's painting a picture here is, is he's painting a picture of Jesus being supreme. And that when you see Jesus as the perfect bridegroom, he says, you set a seal. It's like, if you've ever seen a wax seal, it's like you're, you're putting your stamp of approval on it. And what, what this text basically says is, you have to set your seal to the truths about who Jesus is, and we, that God is true. And so there, there comes a moment in every person's life where they set their seal to the truth of who Jesus is, or they don't, and they face judgment. What is true? John tells us what is true. That he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. And that's what we set our seal on. That he is supreme. He is supreme. He is worthy of all of our worship. He is our greatest treasure. And because of that, he must increase and I must decrease.